As I said, welcome to Wednesday night's Bible study and prayer meeting. Um, we've done our opening hymn and our favourites. And now we turn to Acts 4, uh, 23 to 34. And it's entitled, tonight's sermon's entitled, The Praying Church. I think it's very, very important that as a church we pray often and together. And um, Wednesday nights are often seen as that traditional night that whereby we come to meet together and pray. And as I said, it's very important that we do this. Uh, I encourage others who are members of, of the church to come along and, and uh, let others know of uh, prayer points or praise points that you might want um, brought about. Uh, also, others, um, it gives you an opportunity to pray to God uh, amongst like-minded uh, kin brethren so uh, acts 423 to th- 23 to 434 and it reads and being let go they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them and when they had heard that they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said Lord thou art God which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, them is. Who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of the holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, they placed, the place was shaken, and they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul, and neither did, said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own. But they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and grace was upon them. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands and houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can... Receive scripture as you have written it to us, that it is truth, that scripture confirms scripture, that we as a praying church be a light on the hill of the people here in Aubrey, that we be spotless and blameless, Lord. We thank you for the many blessings of the pastor that we have, the deacons that we have, the members that we have in this church, Lord, that are seeking your face, looking to you praying to you and trusting you in all things. For you are worthy, you are the one qualified, and we give thanks and glory and honour to you 
our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if we back up a little bit and go back into Acts 4, we see Peter and John are brought to the, before the Jewish leaders. And the Jewish leaders said, being grieved, this is Acts 4 too, said being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus Christ the resurrection from the dead. Now, around there at the time, you had the Sadducees. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. and They were very, very upset at this. So they have sort of were put to the test a little bit. And it says in verse 8, And then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, and by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ, of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. They're actually giving God the glory as to what occurred, who it was. It was Jesus Christ that allowed this man to become whole. He said, this was the stone that was set at naught of you, the build, of you builders, which is become head of the corner. The one they rejected is now the, the stone that they, that they will see hopefully one day that they see the error of their ways and turn to him before it's too late. And that's for people that are wondering about who God is and what he's done. He is more than just a man. He was more than just a great teacher. He was God incarnate himself. And you can see right throughout the scriptures that Jesus Christ is revered, not just because of what he did and what he accomplished, but more so that he is to be revered as God. He's eternal. He has always existed. He is a one that is will one day judge all of us. And he's going to judge us from this book. And so you see Peter and, and John here, that they were, they were pointing at the Savior saying, hey, look, for some strange reason, um, the very thing that you're trying to get us to calm down and not talk about too much, which we see later in, in Acts, that how do we not let you know that God has not has done these things. Okay? It says in verse 20, it says, For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, doesn't that sound like today, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them. Why? Because it's the truth. It's very hard to argue against the truth. Because of the people, for all men glorified God for that which was done. For the man was above 40 years of old in whom this miracle of healing occurred. So you see, we, lead, we have this lead in into um, Acts 4.23. So the praying church is the most important of all our Christian activities and duty is to pray and read our Bible. Romans 9.9 to 10 states that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thine heart that, the, that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, that being Jesus Christ, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. But we have to understand too that salvation is also a repentance act, that whereby you're confronted with the fact that you're a sinner, that you have to admit that you're a sinner, that you believe... But you also have to turn 
away from that sin. It's very hard to have two foot in both camps because what ends up happening, one, one's going to pull you one way and one's going to pull you the other way. And you've got it. It's a decision. Salvation is a decision. God's done the work for you. And you have to turn and believe on him. <clears throat> it also says that we're going to look at tonight um, and you're going to see how important prayer is to God. He, he loves hearing prayer, especially from his children. His Son, the Holy Spirit, it's an act of worship, it's an act of praise, it's an act of confession, it's an act of possession. And it's a uniting of Christians to gather together and pray. We give God the thanks for everything, good, bad and ugly. So tonight we'll investigate the desire of prayer. In a praying church, where are our eyes fixed? It should be fixed on her husband, the Lord Jesus Christ. A praying church is taking the Great Commission seriously. Matthew twenty-eight eighteen to twenty says, "Go ye into the world." A praying church sees the arm of faith of Jesus Christ in the answering of prayer. The presence of the Holy Spirit at this time. And a prayerful church preaches the gospel. And lastly, a prayerful church witnesses and sees the grace that surrounds its people. In a praying church, there's a recognition of the supreme importance of prayer and therefore it's a spontaneous desire. I don't know of any Christian, born again Christian, that does not want to pray. Whether it's in the morning, at evening, during the day, meal times. You should have in your heart that you want to have a desire to pray. I don't know about you, but there's times when I catch myself saying something or thinking something, and I immediately ask, Lord, forgive me. Because if, if there's one thing I've learned about being Christian, is that you cannot, you're an open book to God. You, uh, you, you, could, you could hide things. You could... Uh, not you could start getting hardened of heart in in certain sins, but God sees it. And if you're convicted, you're truly convicted. You're going to turn to the Lord and ask for forgiveness. I mean, it happens. I don't know about you, but it happens to me throughout the day, throughout the night, wherever I am. If I catch myself doing something wrong, I pray to God and ask for forgiveness straight away. But I also pray for good things too, like the weather we've had. We've had great weather here in Albury. It's been Absolutely beautiful. A little bit cool at night, but that's great because we get to sleep and we get to sleep really easily. So, after Peter and John had been in prison and released by uh, they released, they were joined by Christians in Jerusalem and reported on all that they heard and it happened. Now, when the Christians heard Peter and John's report, did they hold a conference? Did they hold a meeting? No, they didn't. What did they do? If you look at verse twenty-four, it says, "And they, when they heard." That they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, thou art God which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. If you look at the attack on Christianity, and it's always been attacked from, a, from outside, we see this whole ideal of if you take away a God and replace it with something that is not truthful, i.e. evolution. You're replacing God, the truth, with something that is a lie. 
And I suggest that people, you study the scriptures, you only have to look, and I've said this so many times, that if you look under a microscope or look up through the stars, it cannot happen by itself. DNA is a genetic code. DNA has to be written. Somebody had to wrote, or had to have written that in order for life to happen. So we have all these, the, the stealing of God's glory in, in being a creator is only the start because from there it's just a slippery slope. So we see, we have to look at, they prayed, they recognized God, who he was, that he was the creator. And as such, he then was more so the fact that we are accountable to God. No God, no accountability. But if there is a God, which there is, we're accountable. And one day, one day, all of us are going to have to stand before God and give an account. So, now do we recognize the supreme importance of prayer? And it's a spontaneous desire to prayer. They, when they heard that, lifted up their voice. Now, Spurgeon, and I pulled some of this stuff apart. I'm not pumping Spurgeon's wheels up. But I've highlighted some things that he said about prayer. Okay? And it's very interesting if you look at what he'd said and some of the things that are really, really, and I know that these are important to God. He said, To pray is to enter the treasure house of God and to gather riches out of an exhaustible storehouse. Prayer, you will observe that the desire to commune with God is intensified by the failure of all other sources of consolation. If you've done everything you possibly can, and it says in Proverbs, I'm pretty sure, it said, I can't remember where it was, it says, Cursed is he who rests on the arm of flesh. We don't trust in other humans or governments. We trust in God. Okay, Prayer itself is an art which only the Holy Ghost can teach us. He is the giver of all prayer. Prayer for prayer. Pray till you can pray. A mighty piece of weaponry in the battle of prayer is God's promise. Go through the Bible and look at the promises of God. And you'll start to see and realize that we're not alone. It doesn't matter what battle we're facing, what good is happening to us or the blessings. God is there, knows full well what's going to happen before it happens. Nothing brings such leanness into a man's soul as a lack of prayer. Prayer is doubt's destroyer, ruins remedy, the antidote for all anxieties. True prayer is an approach of the soul by the Spirit of God to the throne of God. Now you're starting to see why prayer is important. The man who, despite the teaching of Scripture, tries to pray without a saviour, insults the deity. That's one to think about. Prayer and praise are the oars by which man may row his boat into the deep waters of the knowledge of Christ. Lastly, and I save this for the best, I know of no better thermometer to your spiritual temperature than this. The measure of the intensity of your prayer. In praying, 
the church, the eyes of faith and expectancy are towards God. A praying church looks to Christ. We turn away from man and the, the world and look to the Lord who can solve problems and he is in control. Whatever problem faces us, it's always secondary to things like money or man or others. Because we are to focus as a church on our husband, the Lord Jesus Christ. The eyes of a praying church are upon a God who is a sovereign Lord. Verse 24 and 28. God is the all-powerful creator and sustainer of the one who knows the end from the beginning and has a great plan of campaign which no one can hinder. Governments can put forward certain laws and acts, but God's allowing that to happen. And I often question, why God, why would you allow this to happen? There's nothing wrong with questioning or asking, but we have to understand that God's in control. It's his plan, not ours. And we, we have to just trust God and allow these things to happen. But there come, there's going to be coming a time, I think real soon, whereby we're going to have to obey God rather than man. The self-revealing Lord in verse 25 tells us that God has spoken. In verses 26 and 27 tells us that he has spoken not only through the prophets in his word, but primarily through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Take your Bibles now and let's just turn to Hebrews 1, 1. And you're going to see the evidence of what was said here. That how God speaks through his son in Hebrews 1, 1. God has spoken through his son. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in the past under the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world see creation, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by his word of his power. When he had when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Wow. We can really sort of only think on things about Jesus Christ, what he looks like, his character, which is revealed in his word. But to meet him face to face. I think after we have been planted on our face because we're looking directly at righteousness, that we'll see who he really who he truly really is. In a, in a praying church is an overwhelming desire to obey God's Lord and commission. Oh, sorry, to obey the Lord's commission in evangelizing the world. If you turn to your Bibles and go to Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen to twenty, 
it gives us that commission. Now remember, this was written after the apostles had come together after the resurrection. And you'll find that if you look at, if you go through each of the Gospels, you'll see that once the resurrection occurred, these men were bold. They knew that once they had seen their risen Saviour, they weren't afraid of death. They became bold. It says here, And Jesus came and spoke unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. It's very, very interesting. What did Jesus Christ teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you? He was with these men for three and a half years. What was it that they observed? What you observed is in the, from the book of Acts. You see it right back through into the, the start of the Gospels. That's what we are to observe and learn about the Lord. In Acts, if you go back to Acts 4, I just want to read to you from verse 29 what they actually did. So I think sometimes we get a little bit, we hesitate or we, we, don't, we don't pray the way we should when we need to. Um, we can go to the Lord any time of the day. He's never tired. He's, he's always awake. He knows that we are we're weak. We're not strong. He is. Verse twenty nine says at Acts twenty. I oh, sorry, Acts four twenty nine. It says that now the Lord behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Does this mark our church? sister churches, that we're bold in preaching the gospel. In a praying church, there is faith. And it brings about, we see things happen all the time. We see loved ones, we pray for loved ones to be born again. We pray for work colleagues, we pray for family The fact is that as a church, when we see prayer answered as well, we give thanks to God. And that's why one of the biggest prayer points I have, and I'm sure other people have, is that we pray for our brothers and sisters in the Lord throughout the world who are being persecuted right now. We are blessed in this country. I'm not, I'm not saying that we're, we're persecuted, but we don't know persecution like other countries know persecution. You only have to look at, you can search it up, you only have to look what's happening in China, India, the Middle East, even what's happening in Britain as to what's happening with Christianity. In a praying church, the Holy Spirit manifests his presence and power. We see that in verse 31. Throughout millennia, the Holy Spirit whispers, I am with you. 
Prayer is the secret of a presence surrounding all brothers and sisters of Christ. We saw that through Matthew 18, in Matthew 18, 19 to 20, which Jesus Christ himself spoke. Again, I say unto you that if two shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Remember when we pray, if there's two or more of us, God's there, right in the middle of it. Number six, this is probably good. I'm just about to round this out. In a praying church, there's a mighty power in the preaching of the gospel. If you look at verses 31 and 33, and they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were and assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. It happened when Spurgeon preached, when people were struck down with the power of the word and multitudes were saved. I can't remember the author of who wrote Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Jonathan Edwards. Now apparently Jonathan Edwards spoke in a very monotone voice like this. But the power in what he said, it had people rocked. They were very, very, they, people came up and got saved. So it's not the delivery, it's what's said and what's important. But behind Spurgeon's preaching, and this is what I want to get at, whenever he preached, whether it was a Wednesday night Bible study or was it on a Sunday morning, he said himself, The intercession of his praying church and in every case where great things have been accomplished through the preaching of the gospel has always, always and only been in answer to the prayer of God's people. Conviction and conversions follow the preaching that is backed by a praying church. He had members of his own church praying while he was preaching. And that allowed these things to occur. Why? Because it's the work of God. God used Spurgeon, but Spurgeon used people around him to pray, his brothers and sisters to pray. Lastly, in a praying church, there's a great grace in the lives of God's people. Verse 33 says, Much grace was upon them all. And the word grace is the operative word here. It means Christ-likeness. And it's seen in four ways. The grace of unity. The grace of fellowship. The grace of renunciation. There's a grace of fellowship that we enjoy. We're blessed here at Lavington to have the people that we have here that come and pray together. We have to understand that we are not to neglect our prayer life. We're not to neglect this book because your soul will become dry and parched very quickly. I hope and pray that you got something out of that tonight because this here, I couldn't, I said to the Lord, I said, what do you want me to preach about? I have no idea what what, what you want. So I prayed and prayed and then I, for some reason I was reading the Bible early and I flicked and I came across the apostles seek courage from God in prayer. So apt for our day.
So very apt for our day.